Coronetist Warren Vachey is that rare artist who shines equally well as a featured soloist or as an accompanying sideman. Warren is most often associated with the traditional and classic jazz repertoire, but his CD, Don't Look Back, allowed him to broaden his usual focus and realize his long-held dream of recording with strings. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Today we revisit my conversation with Warren Bechet, recorded at the 2008 Ascona Jazz Festival in Switzerland on beautiful Lake Maggiore at the foothills of the Alps. Warren and I sat in the lovely outdoor cafe of his hotel, with birds chirping in the background, enjoying the warm Ascona sun and that particular ambiance a summer jazz festival can create. I commented to Warren, that he travels constantly and plays with many different musicians, some of his choosing and some not. I wondered if the various situations start blending together or if each uniquely influences his mood and music. Yes, all of those things have have an effect. Uh, Not necessarily on the music, but certainly on the way you perceive what you've done. This place where you and I are at the moment is one of my favorites in the world. Ascona is just a delightful site, delightful place, good people, good fun, wonderful place to be. And yeah, that certainly lightens the burden I carry. Mm. You know, there are lots worse places in the world to feel bad. (laughs) You remind me, though, because you have experienced so many different jazz festivals, what makes a great jazz festival. Obviously, we have a beautiful setting. But besides that, what for you, because I think people who present jazz should listen to this. This is my own little selfish (laughs) bit and get to hear from Warren Vachey what makes a great festival. And I'm serious. This is a serious question. I think from a a musician's point of view, Mm. uh, what really works for me is if the promoter has enough sensitivity to ask me how I would like to present myself gives me at least the opportunity to present myself the way I wish. Mm. Then I'll be happy to be the guest with every street band, every Chinese fang orchestra you can find. But as long as I get to do what I like to do a couple of times. Mm. And frankly, you know, there's, I mean, we're, we're musicians are people some of which we get along with some, we don't get along with others. And this all, all of this little backstory is not really important to the music, but it sort of is to the time you have and what you have to do while you're here. And as you get, as we were just talking a little earlier, as you get, as you get a little, a little uh, age to you, you begin to realize that things are finite. I'm not going to be here forever. So now is the time for me to say, this is what I want to do. Mm. And so I find myself turning down quite a few things because I just don't want to, I know it's going to annoy me to be there. And I haven't got the energy left to be annoyed. <laughs> I would much rather put my energy into some place that will get me something that's going to make me happy. Now, the, the promoter here at Ascona is one of those guys who hears and understands the music and he's booking it from that sensibility rather than the nickel and dime, the profit-generating 
mm-hmm. sense that a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of festivals do. Because let's face it, you know, neither you and I are a, are a household name. At mm. our advanced years, it's we're not, not likely. It's <laughs> not likely we're going to be filling football stadiums at any particular time. You always put me down. I was, I was putting myself <laughs> down as well. I thought you'd enjoy the company. <laughs> I do. I'm in good company. <laughs> Most, there were a lot of jazz festivals, and that's the festival mentality, which is fill the poster with as many names that are going to draw as many bums for seats mm. as you can possibly do. Mm-hmm. The music becomes a secondary consideration to the advertising, you know, and that that's what annoys me about festivals. Because it is general, it's a it's a name generated business, and you get all these ad hoc all star bands. What do you think about all-star well, bands? Does it usually work? What do I think work? about them? I've made a lot of money in all-star <laughs> bands. Some of them work. Some of them don't work. Basically, it's look around and find the guy with the biggest ego who's going to whine the loudest if he doesn't get attention mm. and give him attention. Well, why do you think? That's another thing because I think I, I do want to educate. I hope to and enlighten because I'm so educated by this show. I'm so fortunate to get to talk to so many creative people with this but why don't those all-star bands work i mean i know why i think they don't work but people always think well if we have a great trumpet player a great you know all these people tell people why those don't work because you and i know they generally don't well first of all you've met each other you may have known each other for years but you're together for 50 minutes out of an evening Mm. to play a set what happens is we all get common denominator music I used to think for years if I, I I wasted my time learning songs if I to do jazz festivals you need sixteen tunes. <laughs> if I had you know if I if I got paid incrementally every time I paid those sixteen tunes I'd I'd, I'd be retired now. <laughs> and the other one the other aspect of this is hell it's hard enough trying to get the band you work with on a nightly basis to play together. All music is is trying to get five or six people to think about the same thing the same way for two or three minutes mm. very hard thing to do you know when you're really playing when you're really playing what i consider to be the real jazz everyone has from the drummer to the pianist to the soloist we all have the same responsibility to the music and anyone can pull anybody else in another direction which can be fun and it's a double-edged sword. It can be a real pain in the butt. So just getting a band that you work with constantly to the point where it's comfortable improvising together is enough work. It's not going to happen when you stick 16 people together with, you know, with names and everybody has a different agenda. Mm. So that, that that whole idea of playing, it's, you know, I, I have a concept of a very intimate, very intimate chamber kind of playing where that's that sensitivity is is heightened mm. and the sensitivity with an all-star band it never really gets to be a consideration and that's my that's that's my fault but once again you know people love to watch those all-star bands they like to see that mm. so you can't you know it's like taking a bone away from a dog you can't really do that you'll get bit but i love you saying they <laughs> like to watch an all-star band yes. it's very different than listening most people, and you know, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not setting myself apart from the rest of the world, but eyes are the enemy of the ears. Mm. You very often get a much different 
outlook on things when you close your eyes mm -hmm. and listen to what's happening. Mm -hmm. After all, we make music. I'm not Michael Jackson. You're not going to see me dance across the stage. <laughs> it's not show business in the visual sense. I've been waiting I'm for that nothing, moonwalking. I'm nothing to look at. and <laughs> I'm not going to get any prettier. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Where it is, I would, I would be happy if everybody just closed their eyes and sat mm. in front of me. I get to ask you this question because I just had a lovely flashback when you were talking about Intimate of the first time we played together and you came in and played when I was playing at Hanratty's. And for me, it was a real musical epiphany because I played very differently and we'd never met. And this is one of those times that not meeting before it actually worked and we played good, well. I'm so glad. It was I, was, good. I started to get worried there for a while, Jim. <laughs> but I want to know from a from a horn player standpoint, because people always talk about the rhythm section, which of course I'm a member of the rhythm section and how you make it work for the rest of the band and all of that. But you and I played together, just the two of us. When you're playing with someone, let's say just as a duo, something like that with a piano player. How are you thinking I want to enhance this? Because you also play with lots, you've done lots of things with singers, which I would look at mm -hmm. the same kind of thing. So people always know trumpet, cornet, something like that, as that lead player and leading a band. But talk about really enhancing the other players in that way in sort of an accompanying kind of position. Well, I mean, this is, these are things that are... You know, I've, uh, you can't really write a book about how to do this. That's why I'm asking because you know, it's tough. You can't write a book. It is. It, it is. It's a sensitivity again. You know, um, I suppose it started. I started working with Benny Goodman at the age of 21 or 22, and one day I woke up on the bandstand and Hank Jones was playing piano and Slam <laughs> Stewart was playing bass and Connie Kay was playing drums. That was rough. It was Benny Goodman, Zoot Sims, Irby Green, and me. And I had to sink or swim. And a lot of that, a lot of what you're talking about came from learning to survive in those situations by putting the antenna out and figuring out what was going to go where mm. and what would work. Mm -hmm. Because, frankly, I had no frame of reference. I'd never played airmail special in my life. I didn't even know the melody. All right? So I had to come up with something quickly. 
And the dancing was not physical. The dancing was all mental. And boy, I was, the feet were working. <laughs> you know. Um, but those, I mean, Judy, well, you were playing a very heavy stride style, which I like. And again, I mean, there are, if you think of styles of playing as languages, you know, you want a cup of coffee in Italy, you have to order it in Italian. You want it in Germany, you have to order it. Well, so there's absolutely no point in walking up to a piano player who plays stride and trying to do my Miles Davis imitation. <laughs> it's just People not, have tried. It's just not going to work. <laughs> and there's that, there is, that, now you got, now you're opening the whole, the whole idiom of you're supposed to be an individual. Well, yeah, but. All of those wonderful people that we've heard, for instance, you, you, you love Fats Waller. You have to love Hank Jones. All right. Now, as a pianist in this day and age, what's going to keep you from learning both Fats Waller and Hank Jones and finding a touch of each of them to put into your? So it's what we're doing is an assimilation of all of those languages that we've heard, you know, and employing all of that, everything you listen to becomes uh, another word in your lexicon, another word in the dictionary. Every situation that you play in that's different that you can't quite get on top of. And you go home and you think about it. What could I have done better? And you go back in the bag and try to sharpen the tool that would have worked in that situation. You have to learn things. Working as back, playing behind singers. When I first started playing behind singers, geez, I was shoveling notes out by the ton. It took me years to figure out that my the whole idea was to support the vocalist. So you wait for her to stop, and you add a little something in between the phrases, and you keep the melody in your mind, because when she has to come in or he has to come in, they have to come in on pitch. So you don't want to play something that's going to foul their ears so they can't come back in. You, you listen to the phrasing. Mm. You try and play something complementary rhythmically and harmonically mm. that's going to enhance it rather than, than it's, you can, if you, I'd sometimes tend to draw it all down to egos. Mm. Singer, that's the spotlight. Mm. Mm -hmm. All right. And too many horn players and too many rhythm sections behind singers tend to think that the spotlight should be on them. Mm. So once again, everybody has to think about the same thing the same way during the duration of the song. Mm. And someone's going to have to be out front. For all we know We may never meet again before you go, make this moment sweet again. We won't say goodbye until the last minute. I'll hold out my hand and my heart will be in it for all we know this may only be a dream we come and go like a ripple on a stream 
so love me tonight tomorrow was made for some tomorrow may never come for all we My guest, cornetist Warren Vachey with Rosemary Clooney on For All We Know. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Well, talk about your string project, because you have this wonderful recording. So talk about that. Very lucky. Well, look, the first one I ever heard was Wild Bill Davis and his strings, which still stands out in my head as one of the best ever done, just because of the difference in the approach. And... I'm a jazz musician, but I'm also, I've spent a lot of time in school, and I listen a great deal to classical music, so the, I have an appreciation for what an orchestra could do, and an, an awe of what an orchestra can do. So, to put myself in that situation was a fortunate thing, first of all, but second of all, it was like the biggest test, the biggest stretch for, for what I could do at the time. I was also very lucky that Matt Domber at Arbor's Records um, it originally started, he had about half a CD's worth of material of ruby breath and strings mm. and wanted to put it out and called me up and said, would you please do the second half? Now, <laughs> you can't see the look on my face out there, but it's pure panic. I want you to imagine being asked to do the final half of a CD made by one of your heroes. I said, okay, because I say okay to everything, and the bills come due at the first of every month, and yes, it was a challenging project, and much as I thought it might be scary, to, I, I was not worthy, actually, to finish a Ruby Braff CD. That's not where I wanted to be, and nothing I could do I'd be comfortable with, but I needed the money. So I started putting, um, getting some budgets together and calling people. I had done a concert in Glasgow with Carol Kidd, and a string quartet was there from part of the Scottish ensemble. And they were wonderful, wonderful musicians and open to playing different sorts of things. And I have a great many friends in Scotland. So they all thought it would be a great idea if we were to record there. So I proposed all of this to Matt. And finally, after, after six or seven months of just going back and forth with numbers and all the rest of it, we decided to record this in Glasgow. Um, not only that, 
But the real thrill was uh, my our friend James Chirillo. I got him involved because he can't play the trumpet, carry the music, be the librarian, conduct the orchestra. I couldn't do it all, so I, I very definitely needed some help getting this done. So James signed on, and uh, James introduced me to... Uh, a magician of a human being, uh, just a magnificent fellow named Bill Finnegan from the Sauter Finnegan Band. Bill was 88 at the time and had not written an arrangement in 10 years. And so uh, James and I went up and met with Bill, who was like, it was like going to the mountain to meet, you know, to meet the guru. Mm. Every little thing that dripped off him was something that Bill just died, by the way, about a week or two ago, mm. at 92, I think. But at any rate, I got three arrangements for this record out of Bill Finnegan. And they are absolutely the most creative, wonderfully orchestrated. I mean, I've been listening to them now for about three years. I still find different things in Bill's writing. You know, it's, uh, it was... It was one. It was magic, and it happened. We went after we we went. Well, James and I flew to uh, Glasgow right after the Ascona Festival, and we recorded it for two days or three days in July.
Guys like Bill Finnegan, it goes back to that question you posed about how do you know what to do when you're playing with somebody? How do you get around that? You would sit and talk to Bill Finnegan for about three or four hours about nothing specific. Stories of the business in the 50s and stories of his life and comparing them with stories of yours. And then you'd put that there'd be a piece of music on and Bill would say something. And you wouldn't realize at the time how pithy it was. Now you'd be driving home or something would happen six weeks later and you'd find your entire thinking pushed to, you know, a, a directed by, by Bill's sensibility. And it wasn't that academic sort of, you do this, you don't put the cello on this note, you don't write major seconds for the violins. Nothing like that. There was some sort of, I, I still don't to this day understand it, but some sort of, oh, vibration he gave off. And when you left, it stuck with you. And the way you thought about music was always either colored or Bill's considerations became yours. You started thinking about things in a different way. That's so lovely. You don't find people like that all the time. No, no. They care about what they're saying and they're thinking about things. Well, yeah, and deeply, and it's not... The thing is that they let... Bill used to let you come to your own conclusion. You know, he trusted your mind that much that he didn't want to. That's how creative, that's how creative he was. His creativity wouldn't let him impose itself on you. That's really nice. You know? That's, that's deep. It's, and you, you know, the situations like this are profound and they're a little scary because you can make a mistake. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you can do the wrong thing. You can think the wrong thing. You walk. You walk in there. You start. At least I used to walk into bills and say, "All right, I got to be aware now because I don't want to miss nothing." You know. But the thing is, it washed over you, and six weeks later, you something he said that you didn't take away with you that night would come back and affect the way you dealt with something. Incredible character. Cornetist Warren Vachey on a Bill Finnegan arrangement of It Was Written in the Stars. From Warren's CD, Don't Look Back. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Thank you. 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. For discography of the music played on our show and a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about my music and what I'm doing, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest, coronetist Warren Vachey, felt privileged to work with arranger Bill Finnegan. I'm thinking of the people that I, of the Bill Finnegans, the few people in my life that I felt that way about, older people who were creative. Old Red Calendar. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking, that they were completely engaged. So I had to be engaged. Mm -hmm. That's right. Because you're thinking, I don't want to, not just that, then you might be thinking, I don't. Out of respect for them, you have to pay attention. (laughs) That's, you know, that's, and it's funny that I should tend to think of that. As uh, as something as a pitfall, I have to be engaged, and if I'm not engaged, it's a pitfall. That's just an attitude question. Absolutely, you know, absolutely should be the place we all want to be all the time. <laughs> Instead, you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to pay attention. No. <laughs> should be paying attention every day of my life. <laughs> a lot of people aren't engaged, though, as we know. Well, it's true, and you wind up being engaged yourself, and then everybody else is saying you're too intense. It's it's an odd thing. Well, You're bringing you know, up a very interesting well, you subject. Know, life is a life is a deep bucket. It's a deep bucket of fish, you know. And uh, there are no answers. You just do it. What's your favorite combination, or do you have a favorite combination of ensemble? Here we are at a festival, and someone says you get whatever you want. What would the group be? What instrumentation? Well, just lately, uh, John Allred and I have recorded live at Marianne's in mm. Bird, and. Uh, John Allred is one of the most magnificently competent, creative, and easygoing musicians I've ever met in my life. Mm. He and I, I'm very, very proud of the way we work together. And it's basically John, he catches my phrasing. There are times on this record where we'll play a, a line, and he'll even put my vibrato on the end. <laughs> And there's nothing, there's nothing written, you know, there's nothing written. We may have some heads written out, mm. but it's Leroy, Leroy Williams, Nikki Parrott, Tardo Hammer, John, and myself. And at the moment, that's providing the most excitement for me. Mm. Just because it seems easier with John and Tardo and Leroy and Nikki to find that space where five people think the same way about the same thing.
I love that phrase of finding the same space. That's really nicely put because that's such a nice image. That's really what it is. Mm. The best music for me comes out of that. It's a collaborative effort, which is what makes jazz uh, what it is and different than other musics. And I suppose there's an element of that in rock and roll, but things are so much more rhythmically driven and simpler, mm. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. harmonically. Yeah. That, that, you know. Um, but classical music, it's all about the composer and the. But here again, you have that ensemble playing together. Mm. You know, had I just hired 14 studio musicians in New York, that record I made would have sounded fine. Would have sounded fine. But it's so much. There's so much more flavor to it to me because these are, these were 12 people that worked together all the time. You know, so they had they had already blended into that sort mm. of thing. You know. And it's a bit harder now, I think about that, because in the earlier days of jazz, when people were traveling so much together, the Basie Band was playing together every night. It's harder for us, because we're not getting the same kind of situations as often, to where it's we true. get to play with the same people every single day That's in a row. That's very true, the way the world works now. You can't put a band together and mm. keep it. Mm -hmm. The only reason I'm working is because I travel as an individual. Exactly. You know, and I've done so for 40 years. Mm -hmm. I'm always, here comes the American with the cornet to screw up the band. You no, know? but it's the way it is. got to <laughs> play with all these is. different people. You know? And sometimes you, you will go certain places, and the fact that you are American and you have a bit of a reputation mm. can either be met with too much adulation mm. or complete and total resentment. Who are you over here to tell me what to do? And so there's a bit of a diplomatic thing you have to get. Mm -hmm. You have to get together when you're going to do that. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. You know, I, I can't walk in and, and, and browbeat these people into playing. Yeah. Know, I sort of have to finesse them into us all feeling comfortable. And you're there for the night. Yeah, and it's one night, and I got three different guys to meet or girls to meet tomorrow. Exactly. Three different personalities to meet tomorrow and six hours on a train in between. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And they're expecting the best because they've heard about Warren Vachey oh, sure. and they think this better be good. You know, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely that way. Why cornet? Why, when you started, what drew you to this instrument? My old man came home and bought one and handed it to me and said, here, play this. But you could have gone to violin well, eventually. You could have done something nah, different. I was, once again, you know, I told you I was a slow learner. <laughs> You were I one heard, of those kids that always did what you were told? I know. No, <laughs> far from it. Somehow I knew that. What it was is Dad had a big record collection, and uh, he let me play Louis Armstrong. Mm. And he let me play Bobby Hackett. And he let me play Billy Butterfield. And he let me play Roy Eldridge. And I was dumb enough to think I could do it. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's only now that I'm realizing it's never going to happen. <laughs> Well, which one or all of them? Do you remember a specific moment? Was there a specific moment that you went, oh, my God, that's really it. This is what, this is so exciting. I want to play like that. Or probably, was it that way with all of them? I was probably five or six years old when I stumbled across a 78 of Louis Armstrong playing fireworks and wore it out. I think I wore a hole in the 78. <laughs> Just stand there in front of it saying, that's the most magnificent thing I've ever heard.
It's such a good point talking about specific musical inspiration. The reason I bring it up is because people come up to me all the time, and I'm sure they do to you too, and they'll ask me how they can get their child to practice the piano because most kids don't want to practice. And I always ask them if they've taken them out to hear music, to hear live music, so that they can actually hear what it's supposed to sound like because most piano students only hear their piano teacher. That's true. And, and that's the piano what... teacher doesn't play it. Just she just or he just gives them exercises to do. That's it. So music becomes this. I didn't really want to play piano really until I heard my first Basie record. Then all of a sudden, I thought this is what I want to do. So I'm a perfect example of that. Had I heard that maybe younger, and you talking about thinking, wow, five years old, and you hear Louis Armstrong. Well, yeah. I mean, the records are one thing. Records are a, a, a great way and a, a source of inspiration. Live music itself is incomparable. I never did get to hear Louis, but I stood in Ryan's many a night watching Roy Eldridge take, <laughs> take the roof off the place. Talk about Roy. What about Roy was so special? Oh God! I mean, I love Roy too. Roy, of course. You know, I think I was 21 or 22 when I got the gig at the house band at Condon's. So it's scary enough with Vic Dickinson on my right, and Herb Hall on my left, and Connie Gay playing drums. And I really had, I first of all, I'll tell you the story because I tell it to everybody. I had no idea what the job was. So the first tune I played with him, I think I played everything I knew in the first eight bars. <laughs> then proceeded to play it again. Isn't that what we all do? You know. But, <laughs> so Vic, Vic turns to me and he puts the trombone bell about two inches from my ear in the last chorus. And he plays very softly the melody. So now I know my chain is getting pulled. <laughs> All right. I'm defensive to begin with. And here's this guy, obviously, in front of a room full of people playing a melody in my ear. So I have a choice. I can either get angry and say, who the hell does he think he is? Or I can ask. So I asked. Vic said, that's your job. In a band like this, the trumpet plays the melody, the first chorus and the last chorus. And you phrase it in a way that Herb Hall and I will be able to hear and play harmony with you. That way it sounds like a band. That's your job. First and last chorus, your job is the melody. Just do your job.
trumpeter Roy Eldridge on Sweet Georgia Brown. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest, cornetist Warren Bechet, remembers going to hear Roy Eldridge play at Jimmy Ryan's when Warren was playing next door at Eddie Condon's on one of his first gigs. I went over to Ryan's at about my first break. So you'd start at 9.30, we'd break about 10. Because they were right next door to right each other, door. I remember Two that. Two doors now. So the first break, I went over and bought a beer, sitting at the bar, and Roy's up there playing, and he hadn't warmed up yet. You know, and it doesn't sound good. And I'm, he's looking daggers at me. Of course, you got to remember, too, this is not festival time. You start, you showed up for work, you started at 9.30, and the band finished at 3.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Okay? You worked all night. All night. So I went back to my little gig, and I said, I looked down the bar, and there's Roy Eldridge sitting at the end of the bar <laughs> looking daggers at me. I go, uh-oh. Vic said, what'd you do? Go down to Ryan's? I said, yeah. He says, oh, well, he'll tell you. I go out. Roy says, look, nobody comes to hear me before 11 o'clock. Everybody knows me, knows you don't come to hear me before 11 o'clock. Oh, that's interesting. Because Roy was not a trained trumpet player. Mm. He, didn't, he didn't warm up before he went to work. Mm. You know, he warmed up on those first two sets. Interesting. By 11 o'clock, the, 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 the fireworks would start. What's it like for a horn player playing a long night like that? That's another thing you talked about, Roy warming up. That's I know my hands, when I used to do those long gigs at Knickerbocker when I first came to town, I couldn't play for a week because the, the tips of my fingers, because it was just such a long gig mm-hmm. and it was such a noisy room. Endurance, so I can't imagine your chops. Endurance endurance is a big problem. Yeah. You know? And that, that actually... Uh, fuels the way you play more than you think. I mm. mean, everybody has that problem. Drummers, bass players, mm. horn players, pianists. Mm. When you really start to hurt and you can't get to all your tricks, you have to come up with another way to get it done. Mm. You know, or you have to be stronger. And I think that what happens with anybody who does it for a profession is that you you get a mix of those two. You get stronger and you get smarter. Architects are always saying that actually constraints are what make them design better. Mm-hmm. They have the most trouble doing their own homes Yeah. because they have too much freedom. So what are they going to do? So that's actually really interesting. Well, it's this, it's, I think it's the same thing in a lot of things. You know, there's a, an HBO interview with David McCullough who said that, you know, the nice thing about the arts is that you have to do it. The joy is in the doing. It's not in the thinking about it. You can't sit around and think, read a book and be a great piano player. <laughs> you got to sit down and play the piano. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to you got to want to paint a picture. You can't read a book and paint a picture. You got to paint the picture. Mm. You got to come up against that wall every day. That wall of your incompetence, or you the, the level, you know, the end of your competence mm. into that gray area where. You know, you can you can think you're going, you know, you can visualize it, mm. but you can't get there. It's, that's the arts. That's one of the things that uh, the motivation of it is is in the doing. And, you know, in my, in my advanced years and my declining physical condition, the only thing in this life that really gives me any pleasure at all is playing. Mm. I'm comfortable when I'm playing, you know. 
I like to play. I like that challenge. Mm. You know, I'm not really comfortable in the rest of the world at all. That's the only place. And I'm happy to have it. The only place I feel at ease mm. and in control and in a warm and a friendly, happy place is when I get the horn in my mouth. Mm. The rest of it. Conversations like this tend to make me a little nervous. I always overthink. I'm no good with finances. I've had a lousy family life. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really very competent with the rest of the world at all. But I play the trumpet. <laughs> Friendships you make are long, and uh, they're lasting, and they're very deep. Mm. It's a very personal, personal, personal relationship to play with somebody, you know, because you are actually inside their head. So there's a there's a there's a kind of an intimacy to playing together that. It generates a great deal of respect, you know. I mean, it, the people I've played with and the guys I've known, you know, the people I've, I've worked with over the years, there's been a mutual respect and a caring that I don't often see in other places, mm. you know. And it's not, you know, we don't, most of us who play jazz aren't busy trying to climb over one another to get to the top of a heap where there's a big golden prize. <laughs> you know, there is no big golden prize. There's just a heap. Well, know? then I think that makes a different attitude. Mm -hmm. You've got to be into it. I mean, we like money as much as the next person. We have to pay the bills. But I think that there is something if you keep doing it like we have. There's there, something there else keeping you in it. There is another motivation. Precisely what that is, I don't know. The money is just for me. It's one of the reasons I'm not rich. I just don't care about it. As long as I have enough to get the creditors off my back i'm happy mm, I mm. i'm i'm not rich but i live like one i'm not mm. rich look at this look at look where, where we are, are. you know mm, exactly but i mm. think it does as you're talking about that setting it's intimate because you're in each other's head but it's also just going up on stage to reveal yourself which is really what you do with jazz more than a lot of kinds of music i think because it is it's not scripted. No, and it's you're not, not wearing a funny outfit. You're not dancing around well, on stage. Sometimes. Well, sometimes, exactly. <laughs> I did what the, yeah, that outfit you wore the other night. But it's, that's what I always say. I'm not wearing the Madonna outfit or something. <laughs> I'm just getting up and playing. You're really 
I feel very vulnerable. Yes, it is. It's and if I'm with a bunch of new musicians, and even last night I sat in with some people and it was there walking up on stage and I was thinking, oh, I wasn't planning on this tonight. Am I even in the mood? Am I, I'm not mentally prepared. Whatever. You've got to go up there and, and these people are, are, they're either embracing you or you're or uh, they're The phrase not. is gird your loins. Yeah. <laughs> you have to gird your loins. Yeah. Yes, because you've got a whole bunch of people who are sitting in front, and you know that's they're there. Most people show up to a concert to enjoy it. Mm. Nobody shows up to watch you fail. Mm. That's the first one you have to realize. Mm -hmm. You know. Second of all, ninety percent of that is your own nervousness making life difficult for yourself. Mm. You know, and that's—I mean—that's just a healthy sense of awareness. As far as I'm concerned, I never. I'm, my toughest time is ten minutes before I have to go up on the stage. Me too. You know, once I'm up there, music takes over. Mm. You know, if you were talking to somebody, a young person who wanted to do this, and they were all fired up and they wanted to be a jazz musician, what would you say to them? Not somebody you're teaching, just somebody who came up and said. Mr. Vichet, I really want to be a jazz musician today with the way it is, because it's very different than when we started. It even. sure is, and being the cranky person I am. That's why I'm asking. You know, I would have to tell them that the, the, in the last 10 years, I've seen the business fall dramatically. I'm not doing anywhere near the amount of work I was doing. So in, it has changed a lot, you tours, think? It's changed a lot. And that particular little niche that we've decided we like, Mm. is shrinking, shrinking. And why is that, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, you can go under the standard. standard. It's the media. You can't hear it anymore. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult, complicated thing we do. Uh, a young person has to really do a lot of work to be able to play the music we play. This is not something that gives instant gratification. Mm takes years and if the person if the kid if the young person has that disease nothing I say is going to stop them I think of be I think of wanting to perform and, be, and the, the drive to be a professional jazz musician as a disease it's something you just simply have to do mm, mm. you know I couldn't do anything else yeah you know so there's really nothing you can say to them anyway nothing, nothing <laughs> I can say is going to influence them one way or the other no that's how if I feel too if they have the disease they're going to go yeah you know yes you can tell them don't do what I did be real careful of your money and, yeah 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 you know you could and, you know. The, the business involves so much more self-promotion now mm. you know I used to look at I'm a lucky guy for, for 40 years the phone rang <laughs> you know I never had to worry about a gig. Uh, I was working too much if I wasn't working at all. Mm. Even then, I was complaining about about not working enough. You know, uh, but the phone when the phone rings now, it's a little it's a little festival around the house. You know, it's a little game. Mm. It doesn't ring as often as it used to. And a lot of guys, a lot especially the young ones, are really good at at self promotion. The internet is yeah, it's easier way, now, it much easier. We all do business. Mm -hmm. It's not easier because that means instead of eight hours a day on a telephone, you spend eight hours a day on the computer. Well, that I emails. just meant you're not you're not sending out literally mailing some of the stuff. You know, you spend you know for yourself you spend a great deal more time 
promoting, organizing, hustling, buying airplane tickets than you do playing or thinking about music. Absolutely. You know, the business of it takes a great deal a of time. A lot of time. Mm. A lot of time. Yeah. I don't think people realize that. They'll ask me how much I practice, and I'll say, the practicing is the treat. Yeah. When I get time to practice, actually I mean, take you know, that. My idea of a healthy retirement is me in a Steinway locked in a room somewhere. <laughs> I hang the trumpet on a nail on the wall and spend the rest of my life playing piano. <laughs> Just to me. Uh, do you play much piano, actually? I play classical piano. I, I have never sat down and figured out how to voice a C7 to any. But you read and play classical uh, for your own enjoyment? I would, I would love just to be able to get through the Bach two and three-part inventions before they close the box on me. This is fantastic. I never knew this. Oh, I love them. I'll sit. I get up in the morning when I'm home. I have a miserable spinet piano that I won't even tune. So you need that Steinway. It's, it's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. But I'll pick up the 357 chorales and put a cup of coffee on a piano and work my way through two or three of them. I love this, Warren. Just watching the way the genius figured out four-part harmony. This is fantastic. He was brilliant, you know. Well, I think this is good. So we've now, we've planned your future, your retirement. Is oh, this a Steinway double, in the room? A double-wide trailer and a Steinway. And a Steinway. Well, we know what counts. <laughs> That's it. I think it's great. I'm going to sneak up to that trailer and hear you playing your Bach. Well, you know, it's not my Bach. Bach is for the world. I think it's But great. you want a lesson. There's the guy. All right. Everything. We got it. He did damn near everything. And he had to fight the city fathers to get paid, too. <laughs> you stop and think about it. I think he had 11 kids because he needed copyists. A cantata a week for 30 years. and we he had to line what the, we need. He had to line the paper on Monday. He couldn't I go down to the stoner and buy a choir full of music paper. <laughs> he had to have somebody lining paper. Oh, Warren, you're great. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, and it we couldn't be in a better setting for this How as well. How about this, huh? It's perfect. It's wonderful. Be a musician. You don't have to be rich. You get to live like you are. Exactly. Thank you, Warren. My pleasure, Judy. You've been listening to coronetist Warren Vachey. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD, Trio. I'm on piano with my Cashamon sax and Chris Florian guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about what I'm doing in my music, visit judycarmichael.com. Special thanks to NOLA Studios in New York City and our webmaster, Megan Lewis. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by the American Hotel, Sag Harbor, New York. Visit online at theamericanhotel.com. And from Jazz Festival Brazil, Brazil's largest jazz festival presented in eight cities across the country. Visit jazzfestivalbrazil.com.br for more information.